Hello, hello, I'm Lindsay Luttrell and this is Table 5. You know, every time I sit down to record one of these intros, that sing-songy hello, hello just comes like flying out of my mouth and I don't really know where that came from. Y'all are literally the only people I greet that way. <laughs> so, I don't know, but you know what? Here we are, it's just a part of me now, it's a part of the pod, so... Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in. Okay, I'm starting out this pod with the universal language of pizza, because no matter where you are or who you're with, like everyone likes pizza, right? I just went to a place in Los Angeles for the second time called Pizzeria Say, and it is Tokyo-style Neapolitan pizza. So without getting too off the rails about something I don't know that much about, I'll give you a little of the backstory that I found in my research. So there is a chef slash pizziolo in Tokyo, and I'm not certain how to say his name, but I think his last name is Kakinuma, and he's been called Tokyo's godfather of pizza, prime minister of pizza, and he's been credited with developing this Tokyo Neapolitan style which according to my research is all about the dough. It's the way you stretch it, the way you pinch the dough to create these like this like rippled crust, which gives you a soft, crunchy, poofy, puffy <laughs> crust. And I read the Neapolitan trick is to add salt all over the pizza before cooking and to where you're going to cook the pizza because this will take off some of the heat so it won't immediately burn your dough. Apparently, the godfather, Kakinuma, called this the salt punch, which I thought was pretty cool. There's clearly a lot of research and things to say and technique and a lot to learn about Japanese Tokyo-style pizza, and I'm certainly not the one to be <laughs> divulging and sharing all this information as fact, but I just thought that everything I was reading was so interesting that I wanted to share a little bit about what I had found. But y'all should look up this godfather pizza prime minister because his story is very interesting. Okay, so Pizzeria Say is run by a chef who has worked at some of the best restaurants and specifically pizza spots like Ronin and Pisana in Los Angeles. And now he and his wife have opened Pizzeria Say, which is a Japanese Tokyo style pizza place. The menu is pretty simple but very good. And the restaurant itself is pretty simple. It's mostly counter seating, which I love because I feel like it kind of lets you in on the action. This time around, I ordered the Caesar salad, the margarita pizza, and their special that night, which had potatoes and like a white cream sauce. I mean, <laughs> y'all, I am not kidding. Even on pizza, if you are offering me potatoes, like hands down, 100%, I'm in, pile on the potatoes. And that pizza was incredible, as you may have expected. So if you're in LA, I urge you to go. And with that, I would urge you to make a reservation because it is a small place and they are always full. And obviously I would say sit at the counter. There are a few tables, but it's just so cool like sitting there and watching the team create your pizza. In fact, you can head to Table 5's Instagram to see what I mean and my fancy little reel I did from my last experience. 
So now for my next guest. You may know her from Top Chef or Tournament of Champions amongst other shows. She's a chef. She owns a restaurant and catering company. She's a wife and a mother. And my new favorite term, a Gulf Southerner. We talk about her early life trying to figure out what she was good at, reevaluating her path and choosing culinary school over college, her love of plants, teaching her children to be kind humans, and we break down all things Southern. Her drive and ambition is so inspiring to me. So please enjoy my conversation with Kelsey Barnard Clark. It's huge. So much FOMO. Such a huge, huge, huge one. Um, yeah, that's like my biggest one here. And I have a lot of them, but she's the the queen one. I wish you could see the one in my living room that has not one leaf on it anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> and I have like rehabbed it so many times and finally was just like, you know what? That's time it's it is what it is. I can't bring her back to life. She just wasn't meant to be here after X amount of years. So I've given up, but I'm so jealous every time I see a good fiddle leaf. I mean, yours has life. Uh, I've got um, a lot of them, but this one's like, yeah. Dang. And I, well, what's interesting about it is that literally all of the fiddle leaves I have, I got when they were like two feet tall, <laughs> like baby, baby. So they're, most of them are like seven, six years old. This one's old. So what's the secret just out of curiosity, because it doesn't like mine was like, in a living room by a window. I mean, I thought it was doing what it was supposed to do, getting natural light, watering it frequently. So I actually, um, I've said this before, but I look at plants. I, I definitely am like a very big plant person and I didn't really get into it until like, I don't know, maybe five years ago, I got like obsessed with it. And I kind of look at plants the same way I look at like baking and pastry. It's very methodical, like a recipe. So you have to be like very consistent and very methodical. So with the plants inside, I mean, it's, this is going to sound like serial killer-ish, but I love every it. afternoon I water all the plants and they literally get like a measurement of water. So like this one gets three cups of water every Tuesday around three or four o'clock. Wait, how did you come up with the measurements? Like, why do you know? No, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I read this article once where it was talking about like how plants are like children and they want consistency and you know they need to know when they are going to be watered because if they don't know then they like hold in water or they release water and so I read this article about it and I was like and that makes a lot of sense because it's like if they know they're going to get fed on Tuesday they're going to like stretch their water out for a week right so that's the way they operate so if you overwater them it like funks everything up because they're like we don't know what to do with all this water so it just sits there and if you underwater them, obviously they just die. But, um, and then I kind of read about like her quart size of how big the plant is, is how much water you give them. Interesting. Well, no wonder I failed because I'm not a baker and I'm not, I don't have a green thumb. So clearly it wasn't meant to be. 90% of the time I feel like people kill their plants from overwatering, not underwatering. Yeah. I think that may have been my problem. I would take it out every Sunday out into like my courtyard and I would just drown it with the hose for a little bit. And then I'd let it sit out there in the sun and then I'd bring it back in. And I think when it got too big for me to move and maneuver like that, which also my mom was like, you shouldn't be moving your plant that much. So (laughs) just a comedy of errors. 
<laughs> once a year I do that maybe but I'll I do spray mine like with a water bottle because with fiddle leaves they if their leaves get dusty they die because they can't breathe so oh that's lots, smart that's a fiddle leaf yeah <laughs> for you. I'm like, well, now we know. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to have you on obviously for like several reasons. One, your culinary background, clearly that's what this podcast is about. And I love talking to fellow Southerners, but also we have our shared love of Jeannie Flowers, man. Yes. It's so funny. Who I call Barb. Hey, Barb. Do you really? I don't know when I started that. I mean, I'm assuming in college, but I always call her Barb. That's hilarious. I've never heard that. Yeah. Um, uh oh. Bring it to Dothan. <laughs> I'm gonna have to call her when I see her next. Like, hey. In fact, her her child has been walking my child into school every day. So I see her kids all the time. <laughs> that is so sweet. And when you drop off, like the little kids get dropped off, a bigger kid walks into the classroom. And it's been her oldest daughter for the past few times, which is oh so my cute. Gosh, that's adorable. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. Yeah. So we have a for those listening, we have a mutual friend. Um, I went to college with Jeannie and I guess you've grown up with Jeannie. Yeah. She lived in the same neighborhood as me and she, you know, she has a lot of siblings and one of her brothers is my age and one of her sisters is my sister's age. And then she has like all of her siblings were in the same classes as me and my siblings. So, oh my God. Yeah. She was really didn't, you know, didn't hang out with her as much, but her sister and I cheered together and she drove me to and from cheerleading every day. Like, you know, it's a small town. It's yeah. a very story. If you're from a small town, I know everybody else is like, oh my gosh. But I'm like, yeah, that's just the way it works. And uh, I know. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, yeah. Okay. So tell me. So I was reading, actually, I had never heard this before and it like blew my mind. I read something about you where it says um, a born and raised Gulf Southerner. And I was like, wow what? Because I'm a Gulf Southerner and I've never known how to say it. Like, I'm always like, oh, I'm from uh, right below Alabama on the Gulf side of Florida. It's called Destin because otherwise people are like, oh, like Miami, Tampa, they instantly go South Florida. Well, I started saying that on Top Chef. And the reason why it all kind of started was because I would say I was from Alabama or the South and then people will be like farmers, fried chicken. And I was like, that's so not what I grew up like. So I started saying all the time and actually it was like top chef who kind of dubbed that because I said like no I'm not I'm not like a traditional what you think of as traditional southern in terms of like we didn't have a fryer my mom never my mom never we didn't cook like that we ate mostly seafood and like where my town is is literally on the Florida line like it's 10 minutes away to Florida so we grew up spending 50% of our time in Florida and at the beach so for me and, you know, my whole family's from Mobile. Um, it just became this thing of like, I've got to make sure we're clear here that like, I am not. And then it's funny because my husband's he is like what you would consider like a Southerner. He's from right. Alabama, farming, like all of that. Um, but it is, it's, it's, I think specifically in Alabama, uh, you really do have this like very split difference in types of Southern people. Um, totally. Yeah. Like you're saying you're from the South, but you're from it is not what you would think of. Destin, no. Florida, not like typical Southern. Um, and yeah, so that's where it all started was just kind of me being like, wait, no, 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 no. I, I had to learn how to fry chicken because I didn't grow up with fried chicken. Right. I, I didn't make biscuits growing up. None of that. Um, yeah. So it's, and it's, I do get that. There are so many layers. I mean, I, 
I consider myself from the South. My dad is from a small town in Alabama. My mom is from Tennessee. They met at the University of Alabama. They lived in Mobile, had my sister, and then moved to Destin when my twin sister and I were born. It's like we were born there right yeah. before we were born. They moved there. And I grew up on the Gulf, like same yeah. as you, like that Southern Gulf seafood. And my grandmother did make the best fried chicken I've ever had and sweet tea. You know, I'm like, it's very Southern. My parents are exactly what you would imagine Southern parents being. So like I, I resonate with it so much. And all of my parents' friends were from the South, like Destin ended up being like a transplant of a bunch of like all of their best friends are like Mississippi and, um, you know, Louisiana and whatever, who all end up in Destin. So I just grew up around it and thought that was normal. And then moving to LA and telling people I'm from the South, like, you don't have an accent. Where are you from? And I'm like, oh, Florida. They're like, that's not the South. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's hard to explain. So yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I just want people to understand and they don't. I know, especially Florida is such a, we have a house in Panama city and then, you know, we've grown up going to the beach and especially like now I bought a house three years ago in Panama city. Um, and I'm there like 50% of the time. So, uh, and people will be like, Oh, well, Florida's not the South. And I'm like, well, it's actually the southernmost part of the United States. So it is the South. Yeah. Uh, I get that you don't understand that it is, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, like North Alabama versus like South Alabama, it's just totally different because in North Alabama, you get more of that, like, I would say like, not just what you think of as Southern because it's, it's land, you're a lot of water. But when you're in South Alabama, you're more like beach coastal Florida. Yeah. 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 I know. And we, I grew up, my dad had a hunting camp since I was like a kid. I mean, I can remember driving Southern done. Yeah. (laughs) At a hunting camp. <laughs> yeah. Like I would, we pile in the car and drive up to the yeah. hunting camp in Alabama and we still have it. And it's my favorite place to go to. We go th- for Thanksgiving. It's incredibly hard for me to get to now, but if I can make it work, I go and I love it. And, but it is, you know, he also, my dad was a deckhand and a captain on boats and grew up fishing his whole life. Cause he's from very lower Alabama too. So yeah, it is funny. All the different ways you can break it up yeah, for sure. So were you born in Dothan? I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. So, um, and, and basically my, both my parents are from Mobile, grew up in Mobile, Alabama. My dad's a doctor. So for the first like two years, I mean, actually just a year, I was born in Atlanta, only lived there for like two months. Then we moved to Minneapolis, only lived there for six months. So I say that I was like born and raised in Alabama because we moved here before I was even one. Right. For all intensive purposes, I am born and raised here, basically. Um, okay, cool. And so tell me, I assume, I mean, if you grew up like any other Southerner that I know, you were around great food and it was a big part of like the day and every event. Is that how your interest became with food? Or did you ever think like, I'm going to be a chef because of that? Or you were just like, I eat well? No, yeah. You know, no, I'd never thought I was going to become a chef, but um one thing that my parents did that I certainly, it's a big deal for me with my children is I think when you are from a small town, whether it's from the South or anywhere, um, obviously there's small towns everywhere, all over the world. I think one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself and your children and your family is to, if you can, within reason, however you do it, like bring culture in through food. And also if you can travel, and I'm not saying you have to buy an airplane ticket, like get in the car 
and drive to the Indian restaurant down the street, um, you know, whatever that might look like. And that was a big deal with my family. I mean, traveling was what we did. That was what my parents like was their thing. And, you know, a big part of that is if you live in a small town, there is not a whole lot of culture typically when you're in a small town. So the way to really get your hands on it is to get out of it, obviously, and then to go find it. Um, And I don't think there's any better way, any better way to like introduce that to people than through food. I love that. So they kind of foster that for, do you have siblings? Actually, I'm one of three originally, but then my parents adopted my cousins. And so I'm one of five. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Yes. So very large family. Yeah. So, I mean, like for them to foster that and want to make sure that in small town, Alabama, their kids are still having a bit of culture, I think is so special and important. And I feel like they were almost like ahead of their time doing that. Yeah. And you know, when you say the word like cultured, a lot of people think like, oh, well, that, you know, you have to have a lot of money to do that. And I'm like, well, I understand that. However, like your child working in a restaurant gives them culture. Mm-hmm. Your child just like going to eat somewhere that is not the the ethnicity they are, that is culture. So you can get culture without spending money. Um, and I do, that is truly like parenting wise, my most important thing with, obviously want my children to be good people and kind, but for them to be cultured and understand that, what they're like and what they are surrounded by is not the world is also to me something I consider like the biggest responsibility as a parent is to show your children that. Absolutely. I always, my, both of my sisters have kids and I, we have conversations like this all the time where I'm like, yeah, just get them out of the bubble. I just want to make sure that they're always out of the, like sometimes get out of the bubble, you know, like just make sure that, cause I do feel like where I grew up was a bubble, not in a good way or a bad way. I just, it was a lovely safe bubble. And I'm happy that I came from the place I came from. And my parents always, you know, kept me in that, in that safe space. But I do think it's important to kind of, you know, venture out and learn something new. And then, I mean, I was in a like euphoria Stepford bubble basically. So I am fully admitted of admitting of that. Like I went to a private school in a small town and 100% grew up in a privileged atmosphere. So it was very important for me to know, Hey, this bubble is not a real bubble. This is just your little bubble. Yes. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, that my kids are the same thing. And, and to me, more than anything, it's said that they're able to be caring, compassionate adults and understand everyone's walk of life. Uh, right. and yeah, I'm not to get too deep with that, but that's yeah. really it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And I totally understand. Um, and so tell me like, you know, I feel like any sort of non-traditional job or career is pretty hard to come by where, where we come from, or at least a long time ago for anyone to be like, oh yeah, go be a whatever. Like, did you, were you like, I'm going to be a chef or did you just like to cook? How did that start? You know, it was, um, it was weird that I got a job when I was 15. Um, it was not something that anyone in my circle and my bubble and my school was doing at 15 years old. It was like, you know, at that age, it was more get incredibly involved in your school, play every sport, do every club, but like, don't work, you know? And I had, a, I think more than a passion for cooking. Sometimes I've had a passion for working my whole life. I love to have a job. Um, and I don't feel 
I don't feel right without working. And also I can't do it. I am someone who needs a strenuous type job and a creative type job. And I don't want to sit down at a job. I want to be working. Um, so I, at 15, I was obsessed with cooking and it was, you know, just one of those things where anyone would say like, okay, well, you don't know if you want it to be a career until you actually work in the field that you're thinking you is cool. Right. I started working for this caterer that was a high-end caterer and I, um, basically just went to him and luckily he was a teacher also at a local school. He taught music. He was a phenomenal person. Um, and he, I just was like, look, I don't know how to do anything. I just want to, I'll do anything. I'll wash your dishes. I just want to watch how this works. So I basically washed his dishes for a few weeks and, um, he hated to bake. And so that's sort of how this all started was he absolutely could not stand baking. And so he would be like, Hey, this client wants us to do blah, 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 blah. I want you to figure out how to make it and do it. And I'm certainly the type of person I will say, I've always been this way, just, just kind of in me. I'm not going to do anything unless it's 100%. (laughs) I can pick up on that. (laughs) Yeah. It's either all or nothing for me. Um, so when he basically said he wanted me to start doing all the baking patient, I'm like, best freaking brownies you've ever had then that's what's going to happen right now I'm going to do whatever it takes right and just honestly I would say it was an obsession it still is honestly for me but at a young age I was obsessed with figuring out how to just perfect cooking and perfect recipes and and then it just I enjoyed it I mean there's nothing else really there's nothing crazy except for the fact that I just loved it and I only wanted to do it more and learn more and it was sort of to me once I kind of like cracked that box up and I was like, there's a whole world I don't even know about. Um, and I really never stopped after that. So what at 15, like made you want to, if it wasn't normal, your parents weren't asking you to get a job. None of your friends had a job. Like what was like, what made you think like, I am just going to go get one then? I don't know. I, I think, I think more than anything, I was really bad at school. Uh, and I was like, I've got to figure out somewhere where I can succeed that I like feel like I am, you know, not just like a loser. Every child wants to feel like they're good or everybody period wants to feel like they're good at something. Right. Right. And you know, like I danced, but I wasn't the best dancer and I was a cheerleader, but I wasn't the best cheerleader. I played soccer, but I wasn't the best soccer player. So it was like, I'd not found where my talent was right? and bothered the hell out of me. Cause I was like, okay. No one is just talentless in life. Everyone's good at something. There's got to be something that I'm great at. And I was not, I remember they were like, you should do pageants. You'd be great at pageants. And I was like, I am not going to be good at being pretty. This is not going to be my freaking life. I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to perfect performing on it. That's not going to be what I do. Oh my gosh, I'm cracking up. I'm not going to be good at being pretty. What people say, they're like, oh, well, you're cute you could be a pageant girl. And I was like, that's not it. That, that is not all I can do. I, I this cannot be it. And this nothing against pageants. It of just course. was like, not me. I wasn't, that wasn't me. Um, so I think that's where it all started for me is I was like, I've got to figure out like, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to be good at? Um, and I knew I loved to cook and I will tell you that I definitely, the moment I started cooking, I definitely had like a natural talent for it. It wasn't, it is something that I have had to work at. I always have to work hard at, but naturally I know what tastes good. And naturally I, if I worked hard at it, it was going to be good. Cause I, 
and I had that in me. So it was kind of natural after that point. I'm so envious of that innate like drive in you. Like a part of me is like, I bet I'm sure that's like a blessing and a curse. You're probably thinking like, don't be, or like, yeah, it is. But I just like, I was just saying the other day to a friend, I'm like, I realized in the last couple of years, I had a therapist say, well, I mean, cause you're a perfectionist. And I was like, I'm not a perfectionist. And she's like, well, yeah, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. Because I assumed like perfectionists were like type A, like very rigid and, you know, and I'm not like that. So I was like, I'm not, I don't think I am. And then I really tapped into that and realized I'm like the kind of perfectionist where I'm like, it needs to be perfect. And then if it's not perfect, instead of being like, I'm going to rise the occasion and like figure it out. I, it like buckles me completely. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I I can't do it now because it's not going to be perfect. And I feel like you're like, I got to find what makes me, what, where my talent is. And I'm going to go excel at it. And then you do it. And I'm like, I'm very jealous of that, like innate (laughs) wanting to like, get it, get it right. And then go do it. Well, I swear. And I've said this, I think that being so bad at so many things or (laughs) is like why I am the way I am now. It's, you know, and I believe this to my core every bad thing that happens to you and every bad decision that you have made and you have done is going to be the most important thing in your life. Sure. Like the good things and the, and the exciting things, the successful things honestly aren't even as memorable and, and like lesson worthy as these bad things. Cause you know, when something bad happens to you or you do something bad, I think that as a person, anyone who like cares, uh, you're like, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be here again. What the hell do I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen? Right. And for me, I knew what it felt like to feel like a, like just bad at stuff. And I knew what it felt like to feel like, I mean, this is a very small thing. And this is, I am fully aware that what is about to come out of my mouth is going to sound like the most pretentious, ridiculous thing on the planet. I but love it, a good preface. <laughs> it is my life. I understand. But, uh, and I'm not saying it's the hardest thing to go through, but when I was in a sorority my freshman year, um, I was the only person in like years who didn't make grades and almost got kicked out. What's it called when you get on that list? Oh, um, is it a, oh, I was going to say demerit, but that's not it. Um, Uh, like I didn't get to get, what does it even mean whenever you finally officially become the sorority? Like the first year you're just like a pledge and then, and then you're like a member. Yeah. Whatever. All that. Uh, clearly I know so much about it. I know. But, I was to say, I'm like, I was in one and I'm still like, what? I don't know. But that was in college and it was so embarrassing. Like, I don't care what type of way you are, but to be the only single person who like can't cut it on something is just really embarrassing. So after that, that was like my freshman year and I just was terrible at school. I mean, there's just no, I was, I tried so hard. Like people bought my note cards. They bought, in fact, I had professors be like, can we buy your notebooks, like your study guides? I was like, sure. Can I get like points for these? Cause I'm going to fail this test tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just a terrible test taker. I am the worst at it. So after all those kind of like being a horrible at school, being just not anything was working. I was just like, all right, I've got to just screw all of this and start over. I've got to figure out something else. Cause it, you can't keep putting square he- pegs in round holes your whole life. Right. Like, I've, like 
scratch that plan. What else is, what else is there? Wait, it's so interesting that you were bad at school, even though you're saying that you put all this effort in like the note cards and whatever, and like the study guides and like, that's crazy. Did you ever get tested to see if you just were not good at test taking, or was there ever sort of a learning disability there? I have a learning disability, uh, ADHD, which I mean, like half the world has ADHD. I mean, we all do at this point. Uh, mine, um, and I'm, I'm not this way anymore. I'm pretty sure I'd be fine now, but I was like, I would second guess everything. So I would get there. I would know, I know. And then I'd be like, but it was all a worrying thing really. Yeah. And yeah, I did a lot of stuff. Like I would take, I would have people like have me do tests by myself in a room. And it just was just, there was just a moment where I went, this is so much work and I don't even care about any of this. I don't right. even, care. I don't know why I'm here. Um, yeah. So I think that's a big part of it too, is when you truly don't care about what you're doing. Um, it's kind of hard to be really good at it. Yeah. I think that you need to care. And you went to, I mean, I hate to even say it on here. You went to Auburn. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, you know, you know, I'm a big Alabama fan now, oh, but I love that roll tide. Yeah, roll tide. Uh, I didn't really care. I ba- I'm going to be real honest with y'all. I like to tell people that I went to Auburn because they had a hotel and restaurant management program. But actually, I went to Auburn because it was closer to my boyfriend and my best friends were going there. So that is the really honest truth, y'all, is that's why I went there. <laughs> the biggest secret that Kelsey has. <laughs> that big, dirty white lie I've told my whole life. Because the reality is, I didn't care why I was going to college because I didn't care about college. But I was like, well, my best friends are going there. My boyfriend's way closer. He's an Auburn fan. He wants to go to Auburn after his second year. So, yeah, that's what I'll do. And so then, like, you're in college, you're like, I hate this. It's so hard. It's not working for me. And you were like, I'm, did you convince your parents you could go to culinary school? How'd that happen? Were you just like, I'm piecing out and like, I'll figure it out? So I will tell you this. I was so unhappy my freshman and sophomore year. Um, although if you go back and look, you would not see a girl that looked unhappy, but like, sure. Hey, remind everyone listening that social media and pictures are fake. Remember everything's fake. Um, no, but <laughs> really, uh, I definitely played the role. Well, I definitely like went into it, you know, had friends, all of that, but I just did not feel like I, have you ever been living in your life and you're like, who, how, how did I end up here? And why am I doing this? And I, you, you truly feel like you'd been acting in a role for, yes. for a little while. I've, I've felt that way multiple times in my life, but that was one of the, I look at it now, if I ever feel like I'm acting a role in a part of my own life, then I stop and I quit that. Cause that's just not, that's not the good decision. That's the bad decision. And you're, you're, you're doing the bad decisions. If you feel like you're playing a part in someone else's life and you're kind of outside looking in, then maybe you need to reevaluate what you're doing. And that was me for two years. Nothing felt me. I truly felt like I was just being this fraud of a person and just doing what I felt like everyone thought I should be doing. Um, And very long story short, I woke myself up after, you know, my second year, I was going to go, it was like summer and I was supposed to I just finished my summer classes, which were freaking terrible. It was all awful. And I literally just dropped out online on my phone in the movie theater. I was like, 
screw this. I'm done faking this. I'm done living this life. I don't care what the repercussions are from here. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, wow. Um, and it was just like a hard stop for me. And then I figured out, okay, that was serious. I seriously just dropped out of college with zero plans. So what am I going to do? And that really was like the moment that changed my whole life. Cause I think after that, everyone thought, and I love when people doubt me, I love, and I say that all the time, like the best gift you can give is trolls and people telling you you can't, cause there is nothing that will make you work harder and fiercer than people telling you, you can't do it, won't do it, will fail doing it wrong, yeah. all the things which was pretty much everyone in my life at that time. Uh, I dropped out of college and decided after about a month or two that I was going to move to New York city or I mean, move to New York and go to CIA and do culinary school for two years. And then, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times I heard like, I should be back in like three weeks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm never leaving now. <laughs> I am going to live here for life. Uh, yeah. And that really, I think that and knowing that people expected me to fail was why I ended up where I am because it just became this mission for me of like, no matter what, I'm going to succeed at something I do. Yeah. You know, even then though, being a chef in the food world was not then what it is now. So mm -hmm. now it's respectable. Right. And it's, I think that people understand that it is a art. It is a sport. It is a craft. Um, it was not that way when I was doing this in 2012, you know, 10 years ago, it was like, you're going to work in a kitchen. You're going to, we're going to work in a restaurant. So what, like your end goal is to own a restaurant. Okay. Like total loser status. Yeah. Um, like looking at you, like you've lost your damn mind. Yeah. hundred percent. And maybe I had, but it also, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I did, but I mean, um, I was pretty determined to make something out of it. And, you know, honestly, I actually said to the president, he like called me into the, his office. Cause he, his wife was from Alabama at CIA. And I was a little bit of like a weirdo at that school. And really just at that time, definitely a weirdo. Like, why is this Southern girl from a sorority girl? Basically, she looks like a sorority. Yeah. Girl. You, you look like uh, it, whether you are or not. <laughs> uh, it was honestly, I tell people this, I'm like, we've all seen legally blonde. It was the chef version of legally blonde. Like this pink princess blonde pops right. into Harvard, right? That was me at the Harvard of culinary schools. So it was the exact same scenario. Wow. So a lot of people just like, who the hell is this girl? And what is she doing here? What a joke. Uh, and I actually said to, which I, I was, this is so cringe, but now it's hilarious. <laughs> and my school, because of all those things was like, I need to talk to this girl. She needs guidance. And her, his wife was from Alabama. So he like took a, took like a fondness for helping me. He was like, what do you, what are you doing here? Like, what's your end goal? And I was like, I want to be on food network. And he was like, that isn't going to happen. That doesn't happen. No. And I was like, well, I'm going to. And that, I said that. And then I remember wa walking out and like five years later being like, that was so stupid. You don't even, you don't say that when you're just like, don't even cook. You say you're going to be on food network. And now it's funny because obviously I've been on food network. Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, has he, have you had any communication with him since you left school? We, yes, we talk a good bit. I mean, he keeps up with me. I keep up with him. His wife and I are good friends. She actually invited me to go to France with her in August. Like we are very, all very, I just did a commencement speech with them. 
Um, yeah. And he's like, do you remember what she said to me? He actually brought it up when I was in New York, like, I think it was in January doing the speech. She said, do you remember what she said to me that first day? And he said this in front of everyone. I said, oh, I remember, trust me. I, I remember vividly <laughs> now. <laughs> and he's like, well, I guess the joke's on me because you showed me and he's joking about it. But yeah, I think I, I, I've always had large goals, but I think that, you know, that saying you aim high and the higher you aim, you're still going to miss high. Uh, and that's sort of always been the way I've kind of done things. It's like, just shoot for the top. And even right. if you fall third, you're still up there. So don't, don't shoot for the lowest achievable thing. Um, and that's, that's try, I, I try to keep that up at least. Wait, that must've been such a gratifying feeling to be like, I mean, sure. At the time you had no idea if you'd get on food network or not, but now you've been on top chef yeah. food network shows you're judging you're an expert people like you know it's like that must be such a gratifying feeling even though y'all are friends but just to be like yeah I like I said here I am you know you know it, it it's funny like when people say that to me because I still one thing for me I don't like I understand all those things that you just said is what I do but that's just not how I feel for me I'm I'm never like, oh, I've made it or I've done the thing. I'm like, no, no, this is still the beginning. I have so much more to do. This is not, I'm not there yet. Uh, and I think so for me, it's, I don't even think I like stop to gratify anything. So I'm like, next, 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 next. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's hard to um, recognize your own accomplishments. I was just having that conversation with my dad and I'm like, it's, it's hard for me to realize it on my own. And it's like every now and then one of my best friends who I met out here, but now lives back in Jacksonville, every now and then she'll call and be like, I was just thinking about how like, holy shit, like you still live in LA and you're like producing shows and you, yeah, yeah like yeah. you did it. You're still there and whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, it doesn't feel like that. I'm just kind of, like, I'm, the, I'm in the daily grind. So like, thank you for it's so nice of you to say like, oh. and it's like, unless Maureen calls and reminds me, like, I literally don't think about it. It doesn't feel that way. And it is, I'm telling you what though, those people in your life are in so many ways, the best thing ever. It's like, I have a fantastic group of girlfriends in my town. One of which is the best friend I went to Auburn with Yeah, <laughs> her sister. And then, um, you know, and all these people that we had this group text and I said, I said something a few days ago. I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I just really got to get it together some, about something. And I was, and they were like, Kelsey, I, you have it to, you got it together. I was like, no, I mean, I just, when I'm successful and like once, once I've really made it and they were like, who the hell are you talking about right now? Yourself? <laughs> no, that makes no sense. And I was like, oh, well, that's not how it feels on the inside. So <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard to tap into that and be like, Oh, you did it way to go. But I do think it's yeah. important. Like if, if I ever can get there, I do think it'd be really nice to recognize certain Maybe. goals and accomplishments that I set out for and have achieved, but it's just, it's not in my makeup and obviously Maybe tomorrow or like in five years, but not today. <laughs> yeah, not today. Not um, today. That's so funny. So what did your parents think when you were like, I'm leaving Auburn, which you know, to be like the normal path for me. And I'm going yeah. to New York and I'm going to go be a chef and like do Colin. I mean, were they like, you lost your mind or were they the ones who believed in that because they knew that you loved it? You know, my parents have never really, they say, I'll be honest with you. They say, and they were, they acted very supportive, but I am promise you there were some very private conversations of like, what 
the hell has she done? I guarantee, because that's not what they wanted me to do. Uh, that's not. And I wasted their money on a side note. So right, <laughs> wasting their money, about to ask them to spend more money. And yeah, so my end goal here is for you to spend an absorbent amount of money on culinary school for me to be a line cook one day. Right. It's all good. Right. Uh, yeah. And so that's the, I think that they played the part well. They absolutely were supportive to me. But I'm sure if you, I don't know if they would ever admit it, actually. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they were like, because I had kind of lost my mind. I mean, dropping out online on my phone is not the best decision just spontaneously. Uh, but I will tell you, all of my big decisions in life have been spontaneous. I don't know why. It, for me, if I think about something too long, I'll either not do it or overthink it to the point that I won't be good at it. So oh, for me, it's got to be like a cutthroat, quick decision, move on, fix it, do it. Uh, so I think that's where that started on this spontaneous, large decision making that I do. So are you like in your family, are you I mean, not that like this now is that weird, but like growing up and, and I guess still now, like, were you, are you like the oddball? Are you, are they always like, Kelsey? Yeah. The rebel, hundred percent. Yeah. The most likely to get in trouble and break every rule. Me. I've never been, you know, never been like in trouble for real, but, uh, I definitely worked hard at it. I definitely tried to, to be very much in trouble. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, just seeing top chef, like they clearly wanted to paint you as like the Southern bell, just like you were saying, like the L yeah. woods of the culinary scene, like coming in, like, Oh, what? Like it's hard. And you're like, Oh, please. Like I'm, I may look it, but I have like so much more to me. Yeah. I wish I definitely am a little bit that way. hundred percent, um, can be that, that L woods type person. I, I will absolutely say that, um, I've got that in me, but there's also, there's also a side of me that's very, um, I am planning everything behind that whole facade. So in the back of, you don't know the other half that's happening. So you see that and that's what I want everyone to see. And then it's going to be sneak attack because I've already planned all this and here it is, uh, which is how I usually play every game is I'm going to, I'm going to do that character. So you don't see it coming and you have your guard down and then done. <laughs> like a snake that's what I really am Lindsay just a little snake <laughs> I love it I love it um and then tell me so when you graduated culinary school did you, you stayed in New York and like worked for some pretty impressive people and did you go to culinary school for both pastry and savory because I know you did pastry for a long time no I so obviously did pastry and I worked for a cake decorator for a year which was really cool uh that's that's one of those things that I just thought it would be fun but it's one of the most, what's the word I'm looking for? It's such a weird thing to have that in your back pocket. And it taught me so much about like plating and finesse to, to have that. Because cake decorating is like incredibly meticulous and takingly yeah. patience involved. Um, so I recommend everyone do something like that, whether they work in chocolates or candies or something that's that meticulous for a year because it teaches you so much restraint and um you it it's it works a different part of your brain as a chef than anything else and so does baking and pastry so I went to culinary school for savory 
because honestly, I had the least experience in that. I did a lot, obviously, in baking and pastry and then a ton of catering, which is like bulk cooking. But fine dining cooking was where I was super lacking. I had mm-hmm. zero experience with that, really. And um, I'd never worked on a hotline before. I'd never worked on a grill. So that's why I wanted to go to culinary school. And that's so I did. I did savory. Cool. And then when you left culinary school, is that what you went and did? Like worked on a hotline at, at restaurants in New York or? I did my internship at Cafe Balloon, which was wow. such a hard, hard, hard internship, but also that's what you want on an internship. You want it to be like the devil worst product, the worst job of your life. Um, Cause that's what that's for. An internship is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be you doing grunt work and learning like really what it's right. like. Right? Um, so I did that. They actually asked me to come back and work after that, like actually work and not be an intern. And I came back at like did weekends and stuff with them. But then I don't know, I, I graduated from culinary school and just had this kind of this thought of like, if I ever want to run a kitchen, I need to know how to do every job. Um, and I don't know how to do the baking and pastry fine dining job. I have no idea how to do that. I know how to do cakes and things like that, but I don't know how to do a plate of dessert. I've never, never done that. I don't know how to do a canal. Um, so I just looked for every Michelin restaurant that was hiring pastry chefs and then just was like, Hey, I don't have any experience. You want to hire me? (laughs) (laughs) Appealing, right? Anyone? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh, and I staged at a few Michelin restaurants um, and ended up taking a job at Dovetail, which was by far, it was very similar to like that Cafe Balloon, very fine. Um, And my, the pastry chef, there was a very small team. So it was just me and her and, and one other person. And she said, you need to figure out how to do a Quinelle within like four days or else this isn't going to work. We're just going to let you work. And but you know, it might not work. And you better believe I figured out how to quit out in four days. That's like all I did for four days. Like I can do this. I can do this. Uh, I look back on that time of like, I would sit with my best friend who was also a chef and we would drink champagne and I would quinelle. And she was like, are you freaking done yet? Like, can we stop quinelling? What is the trick to that actually? I mean, everyone has their own way of doing it. I would say it's definitely something, um, I don't know. I think it was like, I've seen a lot of different styles in doing it. You get to just kind of figure out what's most comfortable to you. It's sort of kind of like telling someone how to play golf. Like how do you hit a, a golf ball and how's your swing? It's de- just dependent on how you, how you work. Um, but it is weird. It's a weird rhythm to it. And the ice cream has to be a perfect consistency. The spoon has to be a per- perfect temperature. Uh, you have to like, and you only have really one try with it for real. And then you had to go back and do it again. Um, it's a weird, a very weird talent. <laughs> yeah. Useless unless you're doing, <laughs> unless you're a chef. But uh, you mastered it, I'm certain. Yeah. yeah, I always joke that if I die and I'm not, if I stop working as a chef, I'm going to have like a book full of completely useless talents. Like I will have nothing to show for my life because all I've ever done is that <laughs> you will have fiddle leaf fig skills yes. that you can show. I can do flowers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and so how long did you live in, in New York? Four years total. New York is hard. I lived there before. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
when I say I committed to my time there, it was sort of obsessive. I just, I worked, I worked gladly, wanted to work 110 to 115 hours a week. I would come Mm -hmm. in and, you know, you can't do that. Obviously nobody can do that. And so I would just be like, I'm coming in. I'm not going to clock in for the first four hours, but I'm coming into work. And that's what I did for that whole time. And that is just FYI for whoever's listening. That is nothing against my employers. They could not have stopped me. I was like, I want to learn. I'm coming in. I know you cannot pay me more than this many hours a week, but I want to learn more. Uh, it's actually, this is when I was, this is actually why when I ended up leaving New York, because there was a point when, when I was at Dovetail, uh, I, so the sous chef that I was only working there for about three months when the sous chef left to go to another job. So then basically I became the sous chef oh, wow. um, and I was like 22 years old. I'd only been there for three much months, but I was like, okay. And they didn't want to officially give me the title. Cause they were like, she's so young and she's brand new. And she just started doing this. Like we can't give a title to someone who doesn't have like the time. Uh, but I, but I was the sous chef. <laughs> um, and so I kind of became obsessed with being like the best sous chef, unofficial sous chef there was. Oh, and wow. I can't imagine that being the course you took. <laughs> can't imagine that happening. And there was a point when I was like, this traveling back and forth to my apartment is getting just ridiculous. Can I please just have a cot and I can sleep in the dining room? Like this is getting ridiculous. Kelsey. And, uh, it was on Saturday nights. I was like, just one night a week. I'm asking if I can just like sleep over Cause it'd be easier. Cause I had, cause like Saturdays I would get off at like two or 3 AM, but then I would work a double on Sunday. So I'd have to be there at like 7 AM. So I was like, this is just ridiculous. By the time I get home, it's just a pain. I'm, you know, it's frustrating me. And they were like, you can't sleep in the restaurant. I was like, I probably need to go home and take a break. <laughs> this is probably my son, <laughs> but I'm losing it. <laughs> Cause I literally am obsessed with this job. You're like, um, I'm trying to post up in the kitchen of my job. That is a cry for help. Yeah. So yeah. So that I went home after that, I went home to take like a breather. And then my plan was to move to new Orleans and do Michelin kitchens there, but just like be a little bit closer to home, a little, little bit of a more laid back environment. Cause right. you don't get more strenuous than like New York city kitchens. I know that from being everywhere now it's just a totally different you know I mean it's a city that never sleeps yeah. and that's the work too it's not uh like we used to joke that people choose the west coast or the east coast and people who chose the west coast are usually a lot more chill than the east coast people for sure uh, with the chef world because it's just a different New York is just grind rise and grind all day So what, like knowing that you went there trying, like not, not for this reason, but part in the back of your mind, you kept being like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. And like, oh, you think I'm going to be back in a week? Like I'm going to live and die in New York now. Like, did you ever feel any sort of like guilt or failure or, or like you weren't living out your dream because you left New York? Or was that like a moment where you're like, this is now my new dream. Like, how did that, you know, I felt very done with New York. In the last year, like last few months, I, I say this, the glitter, when the glitter of New York city wears off, it's time to go. 
and you, you can get it back. Like you can come back again and the glitter's back and, and it seems shiny and bright again. Mm-hmm. But when the city starts looking gray and dull and you're not excited about the city anymore, take a break. Um, and that's for anybody. Cause it does, it is such an incredible place. New York city is amazing. Oh, yeah. And if you stop loving it and stop understanding how great it is, it's probably you. Not, it's, it is you. It's not the city. Um, and that was me. I was just everything that I once loved about living there. And the reason I was like, I loved New York. When I tell you, when I moved there, I was like giddy every single day. I loved New York city. Yeah. Uh, and then in the last few months of my last year, I hated the same very things that, that made me wake up and be like, I love my life. I love my life. Uh, everything about the city just, I was like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I want fresh air. I want to see water. And that's when I knew, like, I need a change of scenery. At least I'm not saying goodbye forever to New York, but I'm definitely saying goodbye for a little bit. Um, and then I moved home and my mom really was the one who urged me to do this catering business. My caterer, the caterer I worked for had passed away. He was the only, only person in, I'm talking about like, not just in our town, but he also catered to the beach where like, now I do that too. It was very sought after at the beach and in Dothan in terms of the only person who could do like Martha Stewart type weddings. Uh, and it was a huge void for that because there was no one that could fill that role. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? That is easy and comfortable for me. Um, I know I can be good at that. I'm going to just get some money in my pocket, take a breather and do catering where it's like, that's me coming home is going back into catering. Uh, the very long, long story short of it is that after all the, it just, it was stupid to, to give up what I had once I got here. Um, and uh, it was, there was just a moment where I was like, why am I so, so adamant about running away from a place that is so supportive mm-hmm. and wanting to stay? Um, and I also realized how rare that was. Most people don't have anywhere to go where it's like they would be missed if they left in a business world. Wow. That's insane. So you moved home thinking I'm going to regroup, take a New York breather, go to new Orleans, get another, you know, some more like fun Mm -hmm. kitchen under my belt. And then Dothan welcomed you with open arms. Yeah. And you know, I'm someone who my resume is very short with restaurants. I did not work in I don't have 10 years of experience. I have like two years of fine dining experience, um, which I was really concerned. Like, am I going to be in 10 years? Like, oh my gosh, I should have, is this going to affect me? Like, am I going to say in 10 years, I should have worked in more kitchens or right. I should have kept working for other people longer before I stopped and did it for myself. But I really don't have any regrets with it. Uh, I, I'm never like, I'm not sad that I made this decision. I think it, timing is everything. And mm-hmm. I got into this market and in Dothan and where I am at the right time. Um, and it also, it was the reason why, because I started my business so young, I was able to leave that said business to go do other opportunities now. Right. So that's, that's the benefit that is now where I'm like, this is why that this all happened is because now I can start this new career that has really been my dream my whole life. And I have a business that can support that financially and also could support itself. Yeah. Uh, the biggest gift. Cause a lot of the, you know, a lot of the opportunities that you can't do at this time, 
especially with TV and with anything with marketing and things like that, it's a time and money commitment. So to be able to do it is, is hard sometimes because you just can't leave your restaurant or you can't leave your job. And so you have a, the catering company and a restaurant, right? Yes. Are you, at, are you at the restaurant every day or doing something with the catering every day? Or are you able to kind of be a little more hands-off now? I don't really have any day that's, that's alike, to be honest. That's, and I love that. I do not, I'm someone who loves routine and I love nothing more than to break a routine. <laughs> it's both, uh, truly. So I, if I want to go in, I go in and that's pretty much it. I check in. That's really it. I check in constantly. Um, right. Roll at KVC is like the plants. <laughs> I was like dead serious. The one thing that's going to be missed the most if I'm not going up there is all of my plants because they will die. Um, and that is so funny. But truly my, my true role at KVC, honestly, and this is what my staff actually said this. So like, you are the creative advisor and that's what we want you to be. We want you to spend all your time with the creativity part and we run everything else. And my mom is my partner. So she does the books, which is wonderful. Cause if I was doing the books, we would have no books. So <laughs> not to say I would have to have a partner for sure on that. I'm like, don't give me the numbers. Yeah. And, and when she no longer wants to work, then I'll hire someone else to do that. But, um, yeah, so I like to go up there I, when I'm in town, I usually go up there for a few hours and more than anything, it's just to check on my people, make sure the vibe is good. You know, the atmosphere is good, which it's not always good. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but you know, just to check in, to let people know like, Hey, how are you? Good to see you. I care. I see you. Thank you so much for being here. Really that more than anything. And then the creative part. And so what, like, how would you describe I mean, I know, but how would you describe your, your menu and your catering? I'm sure catering is kind of a little bit different and can be multiple things, but what's the menu like at your restaurant? Catering is chaos is what catering is. It's organized chaos 24 seven. And right. I love it. That is what, it, that is also me is organized chaos, which is why like you have, a, have to have a very, very specific personality to have a catering company. And it's also why you hear of chefs, like I would say 98% of chefs, if you bring up the word catering, they're like, no freaking way. Um, no way. I, I could never do catering. It's way too unorganized. It's way too chaotic. You can't plan things, but it actually is like the most beneficial thing that I've learned is that I started out in catering. So everything was at a baseline of chaos for me always. I, I literally thrive in it. When something goes wrong and something is chaotic, I thrive at finding an answer and fixing it. That is my comfort zone, which is weird as hell. Let me just tell you that doesn't make any freaking sense because chefs are the opposite. We want, we want things to be perfect and we want mise en place. That is our yeah. whole life. like everything in its place at all times. And catering is nothing in its place ever. <laughs> so I live like two different lives basically. Um, but it's really great. And it's, definitely the reason why I've been good at competing um, because that's the hardest part about competing as a chef is that everything that you're used to in your body, you can't do while competing. You know, we would never have a dirty station. We would never be like not putting things away. Everything would be perfectly planned and thought through and meticulously. And that is the opposite of competing. Competing is like wing it. Everything is wing it. It's dirty. It's chaotic. Um, 
which is why I've excelled sometimes. So you were saying your restaurant is Southern food. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where were we with this? Um, yeah. So I, I, I've said this and now I don't feel this way 100% now, but I did not open a restaurant. I was not one of those people that was like, I did all this, this Michelin stuff and I'm going to come home and show the world what I can do. I came home and was more like business entrepreneur mode. Like how can I, cause every local business that I knew of basically in this town had failed restaurant wise. So I went less, um, food focused and, and I would say like back then people would say I sold out cause I went so casual. Like she sold out. She's, you know, she's not doing it. But the bottom line was that like, at the end of the day, this is a business I need to make money at. And I need to, if I want to keep this restaurant open and I want to have a great staff, then this has to be a great environment to work in. Mm-hmm. And we have to make money so that people want to work here. And that was the, that was the, um, my first restaurant failed because I was trying to make my food. My second restaurant is a success because I started listening to what people wanted me to make. And I didn't have an ego about it. I wasn't like, no, I'm not going to do freaking French fries. I'm not doing this. And I didn't say, no, I'm not putting a BLT on my menu. This is ridiculous. That's what the people want. That's what they're going to buy. That's where I am. So, you know, it's basically a read the room moment, like read the freaking room. And that's what woke me up. And I have no like ego about my restaurant. If someone says like, it's not, you know, she won top chef, but it's not the best food I've ever had. I was like, it's not supposed to be. Right. I know it's not the best food I've ever had either. Never <laughs> <laughs> cooked either. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's, it's meant to be what it is. Um, and for me, I've said this a lot, but you have to understand as well. I am in a small town. I don't have a pool of chefs to pull, pull from. Uh, and what gives me more joy than making these ridiculous Michelin star level food is being able to employ people that otherwise would not have a job and being able to train people and give them a career where they thought that they didn't have any hope for a career. Um, and that's what's become the most important thing to me as I, I guess, as a boss and an entrepreneur is like, how can we change people's lives by giving them jobs here? How can we change their course of what could happen um, by just giving them looking at them and saying, Hey, we want to train you to do this and telling them they're good at it and giving them that, like what that just does wonders for people. I feel like I read somewhere that you employ, um, work release inmates. Is that right? Yeah. That's, That's my favorite. So cool. Yes. What we, made you do that? Like what inspired you to do that? Well, it started because of COVID the dead serious. This is all how this started. I mean, COVID has been a Obviously, we can sit here and talk about the negatives of COVID, but we don't need to the world. But there were some incredibly huge blessings from that. Um, And I say that personally, because I'm a person that would never have had a hard stop and change things. And so for me, us having to change things and think outside the box is now why we are more successful. And we were having a hard time getting employees like the world. And so my general manager heard about CCO and she was like, do you feel comfortable with us trying? And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't care. And I was like, as long as they didn't like, I literally, this is my whole thing. And I'm, I still say this is, I was like, as long as they didn't abuse an animal or a child, I don't really give a shit what they did. I don't care. I don't care. That's, that's my role. It's like, it, as long as it's a safe situation and we don't have to worry about someone hurting someone, 
Right. Yeah. I'm all about second chances. I'm all about third and fourth chances, like whatever. Um, and that's how it started. And then now we have, we hire through CCO more than we hire through anywhere. Um, because it's just, it's a great program. And I think when you, when you are anyone in a job, whatever, and you're giving hope to someone who's feeling their most hopeless, it's amazing what you, what they'll give you back. Um, and that's what we see is some of the most dedicated, hardworking, thankful, I guess is the right word, employees or grateful. Yeah. Um, and we try to give them in return what they give to us. And that's all that matters. Oh my gosh. I love that. We were talking about Top Chef, but you had just had your first baby when you went on Top Chef, right? Yeah. Nine month old. Oh my gosh. Were you like, yeah. how did you even come to that decision? Um, I did not. My general manager put my name in online for top chef and then they called me and then everyone forced me to do it. <laughs> That's really what happened. I did not. I mean, I wanted to do it, but I did not want to do it. But then once, you know, once I got there and I, I would tell everyone, if you have any opportunity, not just Top Chef, if you have an opportunity to go on any show, you are truly losing your mind to say no to it. Because what comes out of TV and especially a recognizable network, you cannot, cannot, cannot replace. Um, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of not saying no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you can attest to that. I will, because I just you know, people will, what if every scenario and they'll talk themselves out of everything. And I'm like, what's my biggest thing that I always say is what's the worst that could happen. Let's not talk about like, you're not making that much money doing it, or I don't really want to, what is the worst thing that could happen from this? And if the answer is pretty much nothing, and there's only some small of positive and could be huge, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do it, do it. Um, and that's, that was how it ended up with me. So it's like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared, but also I'm not going to not do something because I'm scared. So I'm going to do it because I am scared. I'm going to do it. So obviously you won top chef, but then you were also voted like fan favorite. Fan favorite meant a lot to me. I mean, obviously winning was amazing, but winning fan favorite, I was weirdly, weirdly, that was weirdly important to me. So I was like, I don't want to win and people hate. I mean, it was, it was that way, even while we were competing, actually, that season was, wasn't an amazing season. I'm not saying that because I was on it. I'm saying it was a special season. And I'm saying that also, because I've judged other seasons, the season I was on was just an amazing group of people that had high standards, high morals, high everything. And, and I cannot tell you how much I respect every single person who I competed with. And we had this packed basically where we were like we're not letting anyone go down in flames because whoever wins this is not going to win because someone else had their worst day we're not doing that that's not how we're doing this I we wouldn't let regular kitchen and we're not going to let it happen here um so that was the precedent we all made and especially towards the end it was like no one's going down in flames we will help them and then it'll be all about who has the best out of the best people's food um and so that was in that, that was the way I wanted to win if I won. And then also after that, I was like, 
And I also want to make sure that I'm someone, this world and my town and my state and my family and my friends are proud of after I've won. Like, did I win respectfully? Did I win with, you know, was it a dignified win? Did I, did I show that was important to me too? Cause like, we've all met some really sucky winners and people that, you know, are, 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 are great at something, but not great people. And so that was as well as that I won and the people wanted me to win that I wasn't the person that they didn't want to win. Yeah. I feel like that would be such a, such a compliment. It's like yeah, being in a pageant and being, what is that? Miss Congeniality. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what it is, was Miss Congeniality, which I did one pageant ever in my school. And that was the only thing I cared about. So. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so tell me, what is your, what is your husband, parents, siblings, cousins, what does everyone think about your, this life? Like you set out to do it and then you're doing it on a pretty big scale. I don't know. I don't ever ask them. (laughs) I really don't. I mean, I think there are some things that like happen sometimes and people will say things because I, I think the funniest is I'm not a person who gets starstruck at all, nor do I like take it. I don't, one of the most important things is that I never get cocky to myself. I want to stay humble my entire life. I don't care if I'm as big as Oprah one day. I want to feel like I'm still this person that is just working hard and hustling. Right. And I check myself on that. I mean, constant, I'm checking myself to make sure there's nothing there that's like cocky or anything. And it's funny. Cause you know, I'll be with my friends places sometimes and someone will recognize me or I'll be with someone really famous, but like, I don't think of it that way. Cause I think of it as like, Oh, I'm just on a set. I'm doing a job. This is the person I'm doing a job with. And it's all just like serious and respectful. I don't ever like think about any of that stuff really then like my friends and family like Kelsey how did you not tell us you were going to do this with this person I was like I didn't think about it (laughs) I didn't think it was a big deal (laughs) y'all yeah I don't want anyone to think I'm bragging about what I'm doing right nor like I don't want to be the girl that's like oh my god look at this person I just did this thing with like oh I'm so cool yeah Um, (laughs) so I usually say much and then they see it on tv and they're like what the heck why didn't you tell anybody this so what surprises you the most about your life right now? Um, if anything, it's, it's crazy. I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know another, I will tell you one thing that's been surprising. I don't, I guess not surprising TV. I'm, I'm so obsessed with TV and I, you know, I thought it was going to be really, really nerve wracking. I thought my biggest fear was going to be because I hate giving speeches. I don't know about you, but I think that a lot of people could say this. So, and I was like really bad at it in high school when I had to like give a speech. So I was really nervous that I was going to start getting into this TV, like hosting, judging, and I was going to do what I did with speeches and like clam up and freak out and like couldn't perform. And And the reason, I mean, I know I did Top Chef, but I think there's a big difference. Like Top Chef is you're just living your life and a camera's there. Yeah. You don't have time to like think about it. Yeah. And it's, it seems it's, it's reality. So it's not the same as like going on and judging something or like being a, being a co-host with something. So I think what's been the most surprising is how much fun doing TV is. Um, and every, like I freaking love it. Like I, 
I thought it was going to be, I always wanted to do it, but I really thought looking outside in like, Oh, this is going to be so serious. And like, you know, like what if these people are all horrible and diva and you know, what, what if I'm terrible at this? And it's not, it's none of those things. It is so fun. The people who do TV are so amazing and so fun. It's like Disney. It's like you get there and everyone's like happy and it's crazy. It's been completely, completely shocking in the best way. Cause it's something I've always wanted to do, but I never thought it would be this much fun. Um, yeah. And it is, it, it really is. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Um, and then what do you think? Like, well, actually first I'll ask you this. You have a cookbook out Southern grit. Is that, do you, did any, do any of your recipes come from like your mom, your grandmother, your childhood, or is it all just like what you've. So I have Southern grit and then I actually have two more coming out. So I'm working on two more. So that, oh my book, gosh. I know the first book was meant to be, and then I, I kind of, that was my goal was to do, I mean, my long-term goal with books, with everything is, you know, like a Martha Stewart S type situation. So the first book, Southern Grit was meant to be like, Hey, here's a snapshot of a lot of little things that we're going to dive deep into later. Um, so there's a lot of things in the first book, their family recipes, my mom talking a lot about family. And it was more about that than anything in the first book where like the next books will be more hyper-focused on like my experiences mm -hmm. and learned where I really did obviously talking about myself in the book but it was more from like a bird's eye view of like this is the people of my life not so much about me and then the next books are me and more of like a teaching role of like okay now this is what for example with catering that's the next book which is a lot of hosting parties and things like that so cool. that's amazing yeah, I mean, obviously you have you're enjoying the tv part of your life you have two new cookbooks coming out soon We'll, yes. we'll find out about that. Um, what are you hoping for next? Like personally, professionally, like what are you still hoping to achieve or comes your way? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me right now, what my big goal at the moment is to be a host of a show. I don't, I don't have like any, I mean, I am so wide open about what the show is. I don't even care, but, um, that's my long-term goal for sure. Or short-term or whatever you want to call it would dream I guess is a dream a dream that I'd like to achieve is to host a show one day um and yeah that's that's pretty much my biggest goal obviously would love for the cookbooks to sell really well but tv is just something that I, I really love and enjoy so it's something that I've been kind of putting a lot of focus on um and then you know eventually maybe open up another restaurant but I'm a big big stickler about having right timing. And I know for a fact, it's not a right time for me. My kids are too young. I've got too much going on and I want to put my focus on the TV books career. And a restaurant is very much like a newborn. It mm -hmm. is your life for two years. Right. And you have to commit to it just like you would commit to anything that needs your undivided attention for two years. And I cannot give that to a restaurant right now. So that would be a goal later. It's just not my goal now. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, so you, you live in town where your family is, you have a husband, you have two kids, you have these businesses that are clearly flourishing and thriving. I know that you're always flying around doing stuff for yeah. TV. Like how do you manage that all? And 
I mean, just from my sisters and friends who have kids, like I hear all the time about the mom guilt. So like, is that a thing or do you just like shove that away and tell it to go away? You're doing the best thing you can for your kids by having a life. Uh, you know, I don't have it anymore, to be honest. It, it peaks up every now and again, and it definitely is like these things happen, but, uh, being on top chef was a cure all for that one for me. Um, because I think when you go on any, the thing about top chef, that's incredibly unique is that it's, and I say this to anyone who competes on any show, but like specifically, I would say towards top chef is that if you look at it more like a mentorship and you're here to soak up everything for 10 weeks and then also be competing on the side, that is the best gift you can give yourself. And so my biggest thing, I mean, Padma was harsh with me about like the first time I cried, she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, and then after that, she was like, stop, quit feeling guilty. Stop. And it was amazing. She was, cause it was like, she wasn't saying it in like an ugly way. She was meaning it. Like this is the best thing you can be doing for your children. This right here, stop feeling guilty, hard stop on it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to feel bad for you leaving your child to be taken care of, of your, of someone while you fulfill your dreams so that they can fulfill theirs one day. And when I had that full circle moment, like my kids can't be successful without me being successful. That's the way I look at it now. Um, so I don't, I don't have guilt. I miss them. That's what I, I do. I definitely miss them when I'm gone for a long period of time, but guilt is not something that really, it is definitely not a feeling I have very often. Yeah. I love that you just said, um, she wasn't doing it in an ugly way. That's so Southern. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, my mom used to be like, don't be ugly to your I sisters. Know, right? <laughs> I have a sister actually that says that. <laughs> I like, don't hear it out here, obviously, but yeah. that just, I, I love it. What is your favorite, like Southernism, your favorite, like saying, or like only in the South, not, I mean, because people all say y'all and they're like, oh yeah, I can tell you're from the South. I'm like, that's a proper conjunction. Everyone pipe down. Mm -hmm there's a lot of things that I still like I'll say, or my friends will say, and it'll, it'll make me like giggle. I'm like, this is weird things. Like, I guess like, this is a classic. This is a classic. I don't mean this ugly, but yes. <laughs> I'm like, say something ugly. We're waiting. It's coming. <laughs> Only Southerners would say that or like, and I, you know, this one gets me, I hear it it sounds so ridiculous. And you'll like watch these like cheesy Southern TV shows and they'll be say it. And I'm like, nobody actually says that, but then we do. Well, people like, we'll go, Oh my God, bless her heart. And I'm like, we actually do say that. We, yeah. we really do. I think TV like does it in a way that we wouldn't say it like the, the, like the attitude and whatever. But like, I say that often as well. <laughs> you know what I say all the time. And it's only when I'm like in LA or with I was actually with Eric Adjapong the other day and I said it and he laughed at me. I said, oh my God, praise the Lord. He's like, nobody says that. I was like, oh, I just said it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and um, in fact, one of the EPs of um, Eric's show, Alex vs. America, yeah. uh, was um, always laughs at me because I'll go, oh, lousy. And he's like, what is lousy? What does that even mean? And I'm like, I don't really know. My grandmother used to say, it. I don't know. Like, I, that's just what we say, like lousy. And he's like, what do I spell it? And I'm like, I can't do that for you. I don't, I don't know, know how to spell it. Uh, like any Southern recipe your grandmother made. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my God. That's so funny. I love that. Um, okay. So at the end of each podcast, I do a quick fire five. Oh, I love quick fires. Let's do actually, I hate them. 
I love a question quick fire. Okay. So it just whatever comes to your mind, there's no wrong okay. answer. Okay. Good. Last meal before you die. Fried chicken, caviar, champagne, gumbo. I love Lots. it. Lots of things. Favorite city to eat your way through? New York City. What would you be doing if you weren't a chef? Dead. Probably. I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> oh my God. I haven't Not heard that. <laughs> okay. Favorite cocktail, wine, drink, alcoholic, non alcoholic, it doesn't matter. Champagne and tequila. Together? No, not together. <laughs> I don't want to know what would happen if I did that. Um, okay, last question. Any tattoos? Yes. Really? Secret tattoos. <laughs> they are a secret because I did not see that coming. Yeah, they're my kids' initials on my finger. Oh my God. Are those the only two? And I have my husband's on my other hand. Oh, I love that. Yeah, they're like, we actually, my best friend, they're called, we call them tiny tats. She had, she got one years ago and, um, I've always loved tattoos, but like, couldn't, can't commit to like, what would I do? And I definitely will probably get more teeny tiny ones, but then she got this teeny tiny one on the underside of her hands. And I was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. Cause it's a secret. Like, when do you ever show these parts of your hands? Never. So it is literally like the most secretive tattoo ever. Cause you don't, and they're very, very little and very faint. And also they wear off on the side of your hand. So they go away after a few years. Oh, that's crazy. It's a secret tiny tat that also can be removed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay. So tell us um, what's on the horizon. Where can we look out for you? Where should people follow you? Like what's, what's up with KBC? Yeah. So I've got a lot of TV shows in the works that I am can't talk about obviously yet, but uh, I've been filming some shows and I'm super, super excited about those coming out and some, there's one that I'm about to start filming that I am so freaking excited about on a personal level. Can't talk about that either, but just stay tuned for when I announce it. Um, I have two more books coming out in the next year and a half and yeah, who knows? I mean, I will tell you this, but I could tell anyone, I don't know. Uh, my whole career and life can change literally in two hours sometimes. Like it, I might get a text message that ends up changing my whole life. Right. And that's how crazy and amazing this world is that I'm in is that it is actually just like that. You might get a text message that ends up changing your whole course of your year. Um, and it's awesome. It's very thrilling and amazing. And in the meantime, I just get to like live my life. That's also pretty great here and work on that. So, uh, follow me on Instagram, Kelsey Barnard Clark, and my restaurant is eat KBC. Yay. I love it. Okay. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously I enjoyed our chat and all the things Southern we discussed. Um, so thank you so much for coming. It was great. Thank you. It was a blast. I don't Yay. get to talk a lot. So that was fun. I'm so glad. Okay, good. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. I loved chatting with Kelsey. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow her and her restaurant across socials at Kelsey Barnard Clark and at Eat KBC to keep up with her next TV appearances, her book releases, and what's going on at her place in Dothan, Alabama. 
Thank you for listening to Table 5. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to rate and review us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. Your feedback means the absolute world to me, so thank you. And you can keep up with Table 5 across social media at Table 5 Pod. Thanks, y'all.